all I have to say. Stop there. Uh, I do want to say a word. Uh, this Wednesday, we're not having a, a, a typical service. We have our meal planned at 6 o'clock. The Foys, Bob and Phyllis Foy, will be here as we're going to have training for our second spiritual renewal weekend that is happening um, April 7th through the 9th. And so I encourage you, if you have an interest, uh, come and, and while we eat, they're going, they're going to share and have a chance just to fill us in on this next meeting that we're going to have. And I know the first one, I've had many of you tell me how you were blessed. So I just encourage you to, to be a part and to come and, and find out more about this next weekend that we're going to experience too. And we have so much going on, don't we? I mean, I was looking at the bulletin, and, and I'm grateful for that, but be sure and, and check all of that out. And and if you are able to come to the Super Bowl party night at the Joneses, Jerry's sharing his testimony at 6, and I encourage you, you know, maybe invite somebody that needs to hear about the Lord. Jerry is going to share about how he met Jesus, and uh, people need to hear that. All right, we are in Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Uh, we've been in a series called Correspondence from the King and uh, King Jesus. We're in the sixth of seven letters to the churches. And so I encourage you to turn Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. I'm going to read through verse 13. Thank you, stand in our God's honor as I read from His Word. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trials that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, here we are once again. And Lord, we are here because we need you. And Father, I pray that you, Father, are evident as we continue. We set this hour apart to be sacred. But you have to show up for that to happen, Lord. And uh, we just pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, might continue to work among us as you have through the songs, as you have through each and every part of this service. Father, we just don't want to block your spirit in this part either. May you be blessed and praised as we offer our praises to you 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Man, I love those clapping songs. I love some energy, but I am a Baptist who has no rhythm, and I worry about getting that clap right, missing my hands or or something in there. But, you know, there should be a freedom, though, in us being able to worship the Lord. And so, uh, what a blessing. appreciate that. Approximately 35 years ago, some of the top of the fields of radio stations, Christian radio stations, came together to try to figure out, how can we get more listeners? How can we get more people interested in Christian radio? And that think tank came together and they said, we need to work very hard on the music that we play and on talk radio. These two need to be our emphasis. But what they found after a number of years that many of the main supporters were those who were glued in to specific teaching shows and Bible preachers and teachers who would open up the Word. You know, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In Romans 10, uh, it says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. There is a power that I can't explain that comes when His words are opened up. And so it's true with church. When we come together, and as a matter of fact, as you look back in these first three chapters of the book of Revelation, as Jesus addresses these seven churches, the problems that you find there, they're still in churches today. They are still problems that we face. The church at Ephesus, they were orthodox. They had their ducks in a row, but they weren't loving. The church in Smyrna, they were going through great suffering. And Jesus made it known to them that suffering does not necessarily mean you are living in disobedience. To the church in Pergamum, they tolerated false doctrine. And Jesus warned them that's a first step toward disobedience. Being a church that obeys me. The church at Thyatira, he said this tolerating of immorality eventually leads to being immoral yourselves. And then he, he said to Sardis, it's possible to have an impressive past, but lose an impressive future. And then, except for one letter... The letter to Smyrna, the churches had serious issues that our Lord addressed. As a matter of fact, you know, this stuff about if you love me, you'll be sweet and shower me with kisses. When that's appropriate, yes. But when you're loved, there's a time where somebody can be honest with you too. And tell you, tell you where you, you need to turn toward God. And that's what Jesus did to these other churches. But Smyrna didn't receive the rebuke of the seven churches. The church in Ephesus was cold and unloving. He said, you guys are dead. And then the church in Pergamum was no longer guarding the true doctrine. They had let the truth of God slip away. 
And when they met, they were missing the master in their midst. Thyatira was riddled with division, tempted by immoral leadership. Sardis, well, Sardis was asleep. (laughs) They weren't even awake. And I I think of that uh, word in the book of Ephesians where the scripture says, Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. As we think of each of these churches, is there a church that could be followed? A a church that's a great model? Well, we come to this church that's known as the church of the open door. The church that was looking for the opportunity to serve our Lord. Start out here. Um, in the introduction by Christ to the church in Philadelphia. It's interesting here. This is the first time in Jesus talking to each church that he describes himself differently than his description in the first chapter of the book of Revelation. He describes himself with these words. He says, these are the words of him who is holy. He starts... By saying, I am holy, I am set apart. You see, there's no one like Jesus. There are other teachers. There are other great examples to follow. But there's only one without sin. And that's Jesus. Secondly, he says, I am the true one. And the word here literally means, I'm genuine. I'm authentic. I'm not fake. I'm not just trying to pull your strings so I can get what I want from you. I am your Savior. I am your hope. Third, He is the one who has the key of David. In 2 Kings chapter 18, we read about a servant of King Hezekiah named Eliakim who was entrusted with keys to the, the key to the kingdom and the treasury. He had free entrance into those high places, important, critical places of the kingdom. And the picture here is that the Lord Jesus Christ has free access to the kingdom of the Father. And He's unlocked the door for us. It's a beautiful picture. I love in Ephesians 1 verse 3, it says, Praise be to the Lord who has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. And listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, no, 2 Corinthians 1, 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the Amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. See, the promises of God, thanks because it was sealed at the cross of Jesus Christ, they are yes. Not no, but yes to us as God's precious children. And finally, it leads us to the fourth one here. He is the one who opens and shuts Doors. He says when he opens, no one can shut. And when he shuts, no one 
can open. Many believe this is a reference to Jesus himself when he speaks in John chapter 10, verses 7 and 9. He says, I am the door. Only through me can you come in and go out and find safe pasture. And it was a picture that would be known among those in the church. Because it was a a picture of a shepherd. And in those days, they often in the pasture, when they would go through a wall, they didn't have a, a, a door or a gate. But actually, there was just an open place they could travel through. And often to keep the sheep safe, when they would cross to the other side and safety was needed, the actual barrier would be the shepherd himself. As he would lay down in that space where no one else could pass through so that it could be a place of safety. And so the picture here is that Jesus says, I am the door. I am the way. I am the entrance to the kingdom of God. If you want to be part of the kingdom of God, if you want a relationship with God Almighty, with the Father, the Creator, the Maker of all, it's through me. I am the way that that occurs. And it is also a picture of this church is to be a place where there are doors of opportunity that we pray for, that we long for, that we look for. A couple of verses. 1 Corinthians 16, 9. In that verse, Paul talks about, Pray for me for a wide door for effective work open to me. And he says, but there are many adversaries. But pray for me that God will provide that open door. In 2 Corinthians 2.12, he's talking about going to Troas to preach the gospel. And he describes this. He says, a door was opened for me in the Lord. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, he speaks about, please, I pray a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ in Acts 14, verse 27, he reported that God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And so, what our Lord is saying here is, you need to be a church that prays for open doors. That prays for opportunities. Don't be a church that just sits by a closed door that's not only locked, but it's got a deadbolt on it. And expect that door to be opened. But continually... Come before the presence of God and say, God, we want to be a church that is looking for opportunities. That is aware of where you're at work. That is not living on stale old bread, but wants to live on fresh manna from you. And to see those opportunities, Lord, and not to miss those opportunities, but to live in you. Notice what he says here in the next part of verse 8. He says, I know your deeds. See how I have placed before you an open door no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. You know, I love that. He said, I know you guys aren't the super church. I know you're not the church that has unlimited resources. I know that you don't have great charisma, but you got a little. You got a little influence. And he's saying that as a praise, not as a rebuke. He's saying, but that's mine. You've given it to me. 
That that power, you're giving it back to me as worship. I love that. And he says, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Evidently, they had gone through some type of persecution and they could have denied Jesus. But they kept his word. They did not deny his name, but they were faithful through that difficult time. Just like the last church we looked at, that church was asleep. and They could look back in, in their history and remember when they were conquered because everybody was asleep because they thought there's no way anybody can come up here. But when someone had snuck down to get his helmet and that soldier went back, they followed the path that he climbed back up to get into the fortress. That they were asleep. Well, here he says, you are the church of the open door. And, and, and this city, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, it had been constructed to be a gateway to the east, to take the Greek culture to that part of the world and to be faithful, to take the Greek language and the Greek ways of life to those eastern provinces. That door to be shared. But Jesus said, I have a greater plan. It is for you to be a place where the gospel can go that direction. Where there's opportunities to share that gospel. Notice, let's look at these five promises. First, he says the promise of a future reign. Look at verse 9. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. He basically gives the promise of victory. One day the enemies of Christ will be pushed aside and we will be victorious. Second promise is the promise of an imminent rescue. Look at verses 10 in the first part of verse 11. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole earth to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. This is speaking about the hour of testing. It's interesting here, inhabitants of the earth, some translations say those who dwell on the earth. This phrase is used throughout Revelation. Revelation 6.10, Revelation 8.13, Revelation 11.10, Revelation 13.8, 13.12, 13.14, Revelation 17.2, <laughs> Revelation 17.8. I know that's a lot. The point is, though, in all of these places in the scripture is talking about those who chose this world system this earth instead of god's kingdom instead of his son the lord jesus christ and as we go on in revelation after we move past these letters we see this coming tribulation it's going to be horrible there's going to be atrocities slaughter terror panic judgment and it's so descriptive that it's disturbing as we look in the book of Revelation, chapter 6 through verses 19, there's no mention of the church there. Do you know why? Because the church is gone. He, he has taken out the church. Now that doesn't mean there won't be those who become martyrs who give their very lives because there will be those who will come to Christ. But before that time of tribulation, He will take us out. Look there in Revelation 3, verse 10. 
I will also keep you from the hour of trial. That is the Greek preposition ek, which keep you from, keep you out of, is a picture. You won't be there. It is a picture that we read out about so beautifully in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. That says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. It's a, it's a promise that's here. It's talking about the, the rapture or, or, or being taken away out of this place as we meet our Lord. What a, what a beautiful promise. Third promise. There is the promise of significant recognition. Look at 11b. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. This is a picture here of the conquerors. Of the fact that in Christ we will be victors. In, in Philadelphia and in all of the Greek cities, the faithful citizen had a memorial to him when he died in battle and for his faithfulness. And so we too will be recognized, recognition because of Christ. Fourthly, there is the promise of permanent rest. Look at verse 12. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. This city was well aware of volcanic eruptions, and there was fear. It hadn't been that long ago that there had been a volcanic eruption. And they were in terror of that happening again. And Jesus says, no, you will experience rest. Not terror, but rest in me. And then fifthly, there is the promise of an ultimate reward. Look there in the last part of verse 12. He says, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. Whenever a new emperor of Rome took the throne, they would mint new coins with his image upon the coin. And that would become the currency. And as believers, we have stamped upon us Jesus. Who, who has been sealed within our lives as we receive the Holy Spirit. At the moment, we give our hearts to Christ and we experience salvation and being set free in Him. Alright, that leads us to uh, a conclusion. Just a few thoughts here and then we're done. First thought. Do not be surprised by the ten potential of one church. You say, well, we're just a little church. What can we do? When he spoke to this church of Philadelphia, he said, you have little strength. But he saw before them a great open door. And may we not be surprised. Maybe God wants to do something a lot greater through us than we thought. Secondly, do not ever underestimate the power of one testimony. Say that not just over the course of this church, but you. You say, eh, I don't think God could use me. Yes, He can. He can do a great work in you. Um, I had a situation a couple of years ago 
where uh, a church that we were in, there was a fellow I had the privilege of sharing Christ with. He came to Christ. He got baptized. And we actually moved right after that. I had forgotten all about this guy. I found out later the church had exploded and God was doing this incredible work in the church. And guess who God was using? That guy. Now, before I get all high and mighty, I didn't even remember it. God doesn't need any of us to do His work. He's just fine before you came along and He'll be just fine (laughs) when you're not here. And that's true for me too. I'm not just pointing that way. I'm pointing this way. But that doesn't mean He may not want to do something big through your life. We are located in a strategic place our God wants us to be and He is coming soon. So the challenge is... What does that mean for our testimony as a church and our testimony individually? Let's pray. Father, uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, your love is written and read. Father, uh, this is a time that is sacred before you. It's a time where we respond to you. Um, Father, we believe this hour that has been set apart is not an accident that you wanted to meet us here. And so, Father, I'm just counting on that and that we will say yes to however you have moved our hearts. And, Father, in this time, when we just respond to you, it may be coming to this altar to pray. It may be coming to share something before this church body. It may be wanting to pray uh, with me before you, oh God. I don't know. But we just want you to move. We're looking for that open door, even this moment. And Father, give us eyes to see the open doors outside of this place for Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.